Good morning, church. Yeah, I would love to keep you to three. To be very, very truthfully, this last song, Because He Lived, uh, is so appropriate. And let me just read some words to you just, just caught my attention. And it's in verse 2. And it's going to say, <clears throat> How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And I tell you, this message is about the assurance that God has promised to us. And I wish I had time to really share with you what the Lord has laid upon my heart and mind. But I'm going to be as brief as possible. If you encounter a man that thinks differently than you do, ask him what books he reads. If you encounter a man that thinks differently than you do, ask him what books he reads. And we know that our God does not have to learn anything, but I say that for the sake of us. And we are people that think differently because we read our Bible. Now, over in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, it goes on to say that, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, said the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is us thinking the way God thinks. Because we are encouraged to put on the mind of Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to look at one of the most sweeping and most loved promises in all the Bible. Romans 8.28 And I know that many of you perhaps has that as your favorite verse. And you probably can tell me something about it. But I'm going to thread and see if I can say something to us in regards to Romans 8.28. Now, I'm going to lift that verse up out of that chapter. And in doing so, let me just kind of lay what the context of that particular chapter is. And you're going to see why I said that that particular song talks about the assurance that a child can have living in such terrible days. And we can have that same assurance because that's exactly what Romans 8 is sharing with us. So Romans 8, Paul encourages the believers 
in the first 17 verses about life in the spirit and being heirs of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to read those verses, but you can look at verse 11 and 17, and it will give us some idea of what Paul is talking about in regards to living in the spirit and being heirs of Jesus Christ. And then in the 17th verse, he has introduced this idea of a connection between glory and suffering. And if you notice in verses 18 through 25, the spirit of living God is giving the believer some words of encouragement that is a certain future for every believer in the Lord. And that's verse 18. There is glory to come which we all will participate in. And he gives to us as a constellation in the face of suffering. That's what the context of Romans 8 is about. So Paul is beginning to encourage the people that there is some hope. There is the hope of the glory of God in the midst of what you're experiencing and what you're going through. And then in verse 26 and 27, he provides more encouragement in addition to the future hope we have right now in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is provided to us in the midst of all our suffering and all that's going on and all our circumstances. We are just overwhelmed with what's going on in our lives that we do not even know what to pray for. So the Spirit is coming alongside us and able to interpret that for us and offer it up to the Lord. So we have someone interceding for us in spite of our circumstances and situation. And now we come to the third encouragement in this great passage in Romans 8 and beginning in verse 28. And I ask you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Romans 8, starting in verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word, and may he write the eternal truth upon our hearts. You may be seated. Now let us pray. Our Lord and our God, that can be few of us who have gone with you for any time at all, who have not turned to this word, this passage in time of need. And Lord, so it is familiar to us, perhaps it is so familiar, Lord, that 
we have lost something of its force, of its power. And Lord, on the other hand, there may be some who have been so much under the weight of burden that they have had a hard time believing the truth of this word. It just doesn't seem possible or real. Lord, whatever the case, we ask that by the power of God and the authority of Jesus Christ and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will bring the truth of this word home today, that we will believe it and trust it, and Lord, that we may rejoice in it. And may God and his Father and the Messiah be blessed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And all God people say, Amen. Now, let me just say this in regards to uh, Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 is a glimpse into the attributes of God's sovereignty. It's a revelation that God is sovereign and we are secure. And that's the implication of us being assured. When we catch a glimpse of God's sovereignty, we discover our security. It is not an event of life, good or bad, we discover security in the everlasting purpose of God Almighty. Sometimes it is good to look at what the Spirit of God is not saying through Paul. All things work together for good. Paul is not saying that all things are good in a believer life. There are many things which you know that are not good. And we know Paul is not saying whatever happened is good. No, he's not. Paul is not saying things will work out on their own by some power. No, he's not saying that. Is Paul saying that suffering and evil and tragedy are good? No, he's not. Is he saying everything will work out if we just have enough faith? No, he's not saying that. Is he saying we will understand why God allowed tragedies to come? No. What this verse means is God makes all things work together for good. God used all things, even evil, even pain, even suffering. He uses all things, everything, individually, comprehensively for the good of all believers. So Paul is not asserting that all things are good. He is saying all things are turned by God for good. When things go, when things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. Christians believe that sooner or later, the sorrow and the pain and the disappointment and the losses will work together for good. Now, since we know what God is not saying in this promise. Let us look together at what God is saying to us as believers. Now, first of all, I want to look at almost every single word in that particular verse, Romans 8.28. Caveat, perhaps with some phrases as well. Now, in order to really look at this particular verse, you got to start with God. And listen to this verse here. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called 
according to his purpose. Now I'm reading this out of the NASB because I had looked at some other verses, version of the Bible and they emphasize different words. And you may be reading a Bible that emphasizes God at the end. So it's very, very important that you start with God at the beginning to understand him working everything good for you and on your behalf. Now, Paul gives an amazing declaration about providence. And we know that providence is how God, by his wisdom, love, and care, direct all things in the universe. God is in complete control of all things. In verse 28, he says that everything, even evil, everything, even evil works for your well-being and God's glory. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. In other words, Paul is telling us that absolutely everything in this life is ordered by God for our good. Now, we would never properly understand this verse as long as we put God at the end. And that's why I was kind of warning you in regard to some version of the Bible, put God at the end. So it's very, very important to put God at the beginning. And I looked at the King James and perhaps the ESV, and the NIV really states it very, very well. They put God at the beginning. So how do you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding when it makes no sense? What do you do when the phone rings and you pick it up and there on the other end someone say it's canceled? Or the phone rings and you pick it up and the answer is bad news. God is there at the beginning. He is there at the end. And he is there at every point in between. God is at work. And that answered the great question. Where is God when it hurts? He is there at the beginning, and he is there at the end, and he is there in between. So the answer in Romans 8.28 must begin with God. God causes all things to work together for good. The Bible never asks us to pretend that tragedy isn't tragedy. Or the Bible never asks us to pretend that our pain is not real. The point is, we must see and look for the active involvement of God in our life, no matter what the circumstance or the situation might be, good or bad or indifferent. We must look for God. We must look for God. If we do not see God's hand when we're looking, we must trust his heart. We must trust the heart of Almighty God. And I said I'm going to take that verse apart because I want us to really see this verse. I want us to feel this verse. I want us to understand this verse. I want us to walk away from here, trusting in Almighty God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And I just talked about God. You must start with God. 
Now notice this phrase here. In that particular verse it says, and we know. At the beginning it says, and we know. What do we know? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. And when Paul say, and we know, he is talking about something that every Christian know or ought to know, but perhaps hasn't connected with their present circumstance or situation. Every Christian knows that God's special providence is upon him or her that particular moment, whatever it is that they are going through. This morning, when you got up out your bed, you got up living under the providential care of Almighty God. And we know providence is God's wisdom and God's love and God's care for us. So we know that. That's what he said. And we know, we know that God loves us. We know God cares for us. We know that God watches over us. And we know whatever's going on in our lives is due to the fact God has decreed it. He has a purpose for it. And we know that without a doubt. But God is asking us at Haven to take this matter in. To think about it. He is asking you to think about the fact that all things are worked together for the good by God to them that love him. And another reason he says, and we know, we know it because God is trustworthy. We know it because it reflects the character of God. It rests upon God's character. We know it by looking at the events of life, but looking at who God is. We know that this promise, this is a promise from God, and this promise is stated in such a manner that it is absolutely an undeniable truth from our holy and righteous God. But you know, sometimes we forget because the pain can be so intense, the embarrassment can be so intense, the disappointment can be so intense in what we are going through that God says we know some undeniable things in regards to what God has said and what God has promised. And as I said, this promise is stated in a positive sense. And it is stated in such a sense that it is some of the most encouraging words in the entire Bible. This promise is taken under consideration all things. Not only the nice things work together for our good, he is saying that every obscene evil that you can imagine is turned by God to your best interest. Your name is on it. Suppose your child has been diagnosed with an incurable disease. God causes all things to work together for good. Suppose someone calls you and tells you that one parent has been murdered. God calls all things to work together for good. Suppose you receive news that 
a sister, a brother been kidnapped. God calls all things to work together for good. Suppose you lose your job and you terminate it. Your heart say, God calls all things to work together for good. Yes, it's real this morning. It's very, very real this morning. Through it all, God is working out a great purpose. No matter what the circumstances might be, God has a purpose for everything. So we see that we got to start with God, and there's something that we know. We know without a doubt. There's not up for debate. It's God's word. Now notice the phrase, work together. And we know that God causes all things to work together. And what's really happening in our lives is we are taking one thing and isolate it, but you can't do that. You got to keep them all together. And that's what he's doing. He's, 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 he's not working one individual thing in isolation. He is working everything together. And they are being worked together for our good. So it's like, Someone in the kitchen cooking something, and it takes 10, 11 ingredients to make whatever else that they're making. And once they bring all those ingredients together, it makes something very, very positive. But if you take one of those ingredients out and you try to consume it, it may not taste as good. But with all those ingredients coming together and making something positive, then you have a very tasty thing. And that's exactly what God is doing in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our trouble and our circumstances. There is a divine synergist, even in the darkest moment, a synergist that produces something positive. And the good that is ultimately produced could not happen any other way. What by itself seem to have no purpose is in the end indispensable. Now notice this right here and I'm going to come back to the word good because this is the crux of this matter. I want us to look at two other phrases together here and here it is who love God and those who are called. So Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now Paul go on to say whom this encouragement belongs. He is disclosing the particular recipient of this encouragement. And notice what he says very clearly. The only one who can claim this comfort are believers. Unbelievers cannot claim this particular verse. You say, those who love God and those who are called by God. That's who can claim this promise. The promise that God will turn all things for good is not true 
in everybody's case. There are two things that need to be true for this promise to apply to you. One is that you must love God, and the other is that you are called accordingly to his purpose. And I want you to see two components of Paul's description in that particular verse. It's going to say those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that is not two different categories of people. That's the same group of people. And what's happening is those who love God is looking at it from your perspective and my perspective. From man perspective. Those who are called is looking at it from God perspective. And God perspective is the most important perspective. Because we are saved by grace and grace only. So that's the implication of why is naming two of the same groups of people but looking at it from a different perspective. Those who love God are the one that respond to God because God first loved them. And those that are being called are the one that God has initiated this relationship with. So we see that promise does not just rest on our fickle hearts. It rests on God calling and God purpose for us. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. See, our love is subjective and God's love is objective. Because your love is too fragile and uncertain, but God's call is not fragile and not uncertain. This call is not the general call or the external call that will be made at the end of this service. That's a call by man. But this particular call is a call by God, and that call is an internal call by God himself. And that's what they call the effectual call. The effectual call is a supernatural call by God himself. The natural call is the call that will be made at the invitation him by man. And you may not see anyone come forward, but perhaps God has touched the hearts of someone sitting there and he has internally called them. Over and over in the Bible and in history, the truth of Romans 8.28 is witnessed by people of God. And what I want to do is, I want us to look at an illustration that really magnify the implication of what it means in that particular verse, good. So let's look at that. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, in that particular verse, good and purpose is related. Because you can talk in the context of God, good purpose. So they are related. So let's look at this right here, and I'm going to show you something. And that's why I quoted Isaiah 55 in return, in regards to God's thoughts and our thoughts. And what we want to do is begin to think the way God thinks. And I want to show us 
how God defined good. So let's take an illustration. And this illustration is none other than Joseph. So we know the story of Joseph very well. We are seen played out according to the sovereignty of God. This is the sovereignty of God being played out in the life of Joseph. And what sovereignty means is God has all power and God is all knowing. That implies that God must be free to use his power and his knowledge as he pleases. That's what the sovereignty of God means. So we're going to see God power and God knowledge or authority being utilized in the life of Joseph. And we're going to see the implication of good. Joseph in the Old Testament, we know his brother hated him because he had a dream that someday he would reign over them. So they threw him in a pit and then sailed him in slavery in Egypt. And then they lie to their father about his coat. So the old man will believe that his boy was killed by some animal. And finally, after about 17 years of nothing apparently working together in Joseph's life, he is called to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh rewards him by making him a kind of vice president in charge of all the food in the land as a young man. Now the famine is threatening his family in Canaan. And so the boys who hate him and try to get rid of him come to Egypt. Who is this one ready to help them? But none other than their brother Joseph, whom they did not recognize. Now, to help us understand this verse, I want us to look at three verses. And open your Bibles with me. And this is very, very important. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 45, verse 7. Genesis chapter 45, verse 7. And these verses is going to help us to interpret the implication of good in regards to everything working for our good. So in Genesis chapter 45, verse 7, thus read, God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Now notice what Joseph said. Joseph said, he's telling his brother, God sent me. Now think about all the evil that was done to Joseph and look how he is looking at life in regards to what has happened to him. And he's telling them, God sent me ahead of you. Now look at Psalm 107. Turn over to Psalm 107 and keep in mind the word sent. Joseph just said, God sent me. Over in verse Genesis 45, Verse 7. Now, 107, verse 16 and 17. Look at verse 16 and 17, Psalm 105. Now, notice this right here. I kind of wish I had read this verse first 
and then read Genesis 45. But notice this right here. This verse say, when he summoned a famine, when who? Who summoned this famine? Say it a little louder. Say it a little louder. God summoned this famine. God did this. When God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he has sent a man. And who the man he sent? Oh, look at this right here. He sent Joseph ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now look at that. Sent. In, in, in Genesis 45, 7, Joseph say sent. We see God sent him. Now the word, as I said, sent is very, very important. Now look at this right here. Turn to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Now we're looking at an illustration to help us interpret the meaning of good. That's what we're doing. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Hear the word. Joseph says this to his brother. And for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant what? Understand how God is interpreting good. See, we interpret good altogether different. And we must begin to interpret life that's going on in our life the way God interprets it. Because God is doing a great work in our life. And it's for our good and for his glory. I like that. Joseph said to his brother, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now notice this here, the good. The good was what? To bring many to keep many alive. All the even stuff that was done to Joseph, it was done for a purpose to keep Many people's alive. Now here go right here. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 is the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. Let me say that again. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 is the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good. You see? You see back in Genesis here? All that was done. And what came out of that evil? Good came out of that evil. That's what came out of that evil. Goodness came out of it. All things work together for good. For God people. All things, including all the evil done to Joseph. But notice carefully the way all three of those texts talks about all things. These are the things that God meant to work together for good. God did not just watch evil events unfold in the life of Joseph. 
God designed those things and they had a purpose. And then God bringing good out of them. Just as Joe the brother meant it and his brother purposely designed everything. They made it up. They purposely designed to do Joseph in. But God designed and purposely used Joseph for good. I like that. Man, I like that. All of this stuff that's going on in your life, don't misinterpret what God is doing. God is doing a work of grace. And you're going to see something here of why he's doing what he's doing in the midst of sin in our lives. This is the sovereign work of God using the brothers selling Joseph into slavery was God sending Joseph to save people physically saving them because we know salvation in the Old Testament was always physical and not spiritual. In fact about it, God told Moses what? The people is going to go into Egypt how many years? How many? This is part of God getting them there. This is part of what's going on now, getting them in Egypt, where they will stay for 400 years. Man, I'm a t- oh, let me get back over here. Oh, Lord, help me this morning. Just be patient with me. Just just a few more minutes because something is going to fall out of here. Just be patient with me. So I like the way Joseph defined good. Joseph defined good the same way God defined good. And what was the good and the evil did to Joseph? To save many. Divine providence always lead to a greater good. I just told you, this morning, you got up, I got up, we are living under the providential care of God. And Joseph got up all his life living under the providential care of God. And look at what happened. Out of providence come a greater good. I just got a few more pages here. Just, just be a little patient with me. How much, here, I'm going to truncate this here. Jesus Christ. Look at all the evil was done to Jesus Christ. By the religious Jews. All the evil. Look at Judas. Look at what Judas did to, to, to Jesus. He lied on him. He did all these things to Jesus. What came out of that? What came out of all the evil done to Jesus Christ? My redemption came out of that. The good God works all things for the good of those who love him. Did Christ love God? Oh, yes, he did. See, all that evil done to our Lord and God, he brought something out of it. He brought salvation out of it. I can go to you over and over. Look at Jonah. Look at Esther. Look at Paul. All that Paul went through. And Paul would say, all that I went through were the feathers of the what? The gospel. Okay, okay. Now, I'm going to close up now. I'm going to show you all of this that was going on. Now watch this right here. 
Here's the crux of it here. Now look at Romans 29 and 30. We don't look at Romans 28 pretty exhausted. We don't look at that. Now look at what God is using all of this evil and all of this good, all of the suffering, all of the circumstances, all of the disappointment, you name it. Now notice what he is bringing this to a climax to. Now notice this here. Now he's going to say this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become what? That's what he's doing. All this stuff that's going on in your life, all the disappointment, whatever it is that's going on in your life, God is utilizing that to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. And I'm going to tell you something. And, and, I, and I say it this way because we, we know that we can't say, Lord, we come to the Lord. You know, he finds us. But in a vernacular way, let's just say, I raise my hand and say, I want to be a Christian. What are you saying? When you say you want to be a Christian, you are saying, I want to be like who? That's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. I want to be like Christ. You're not saying you want to be Christ. You're saying, I want to be like Christ. Well, what is God saying in verse 29 and 30? That he's going to work everything in your life to conform you to who? Jesus Christ. That's what he want to do. That's what he want to do. So this is, like I said, the crux of the matter. Paul say that all things work together for good. But what is the good he is talking about? For most of us, good equal things like health, happiness, solid relationship, long life, money, food on the table, meaningful work, a nice place to live. But in general, we think the good life means a better circumstance. But based upon God, the good life doesn't mean that. The good life means all the bad stuff as well. So let me put it plainly. God is at work in your life and my life making us like Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. God is at work in us this very moment as we worship him. He will never intentionally hurt us. He knows what we are going through for he too has been there. He watched his own son die. In the end, we look like Jesus Christ. So I look at Joseph's life. It became clear to me that our definition of good and God's definition of good are not the same. In Romans 8.28, the word good is not a synonym for healthy, successful life. But in Romans 8.28, good means conforming you and I to the image of Jesus Christ. God's purpose for our lives, including all things, God has caused all things to work together to make us like Jesus Christ. It is easy for us to say all things are working together for good when our health is great. 
But God is always at work. He is never deterred by us. Nothing happened to us outside of God's control. There is no mistake and no surprises. God can do that even when we cannot. God does it even when we don't believe it. God has a purpose behind everything that happened to us. And nothing happened to us that God has not allowed and yes, even planned. God loves us. We are not adrift in chaos. And to me, that is the most fortifying, the most stabilizing, the most peace-giving thing that I know anything about in this universe. Now, in closing, what effect should this have on you and I? I close by asking, what effect should this have on you? If you are sitting here among us today and not a believer in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to trust Christ. It is the only way to have God for you and not against you. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 28 is a battle cry. If all things work together for my good, then I cannot be ultimately defeated in the cause of Christ. Romans 8, 28 is a trumpet call to follow Jesus in the risk of love no matter what it costs. Because whatever it costs will work for our good. We believe in a power of the truth and living God that is so great, so loving, so wise that he is able to cause all things to work together for our good and his glory. Our Lord and our God, we come, Lord, just to say thank you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your peace. But more than anything else, Lord, we thank you for your dear son, Jesus Christ. God, grant that we may believe your word, and Lord, that we may trust in your word with all our heart, and that we may not lean on our own understanding, but we will lean on your dear son, Jesus Christ. And all God people say, Amen.